Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 553, July the 8th, 1995, £1.45. Apologies if my voice sounds a little bit croaky today, that's because I went to see Guns N' Roses this weekend just gone. They played Estranged and I could not have been happier. It was absolutely brilliant. And in an effort to damage my voice even further, I will be at both Pearl Jam shows in Hyde Park this weekend. So that's July the 8th, uh, Friday, and July the 9th. Uh, I cannot wait for these, honestly. I, I really loved and enjoyed the Guns N' Roses show, but Pearl Jam are the band for me. I've seen them uh, about 25 times, I think, now. Um, and if they play a city, you have to go both nights, because you'll just get a completely different set both nights. They'll probably do... Uh, alive and even flow over the two nights but that's hopefully that's about it hopefully we'll get completely different sets they usually do that across um across two nights in the same city uh obviously we've had these tickets now <laughs> since 2019 i think we bought them you know pandemic obviously you have to wait for this um but uh, you know i'm hoping it'll be worth waiting for uh, it's been it's been a long time i'm looking forward to hearing the new stuff they do live gigaton that should be really good um uh, Get to spend it with my mum on the Saturday, the day before her birthday, so that'll be really nice. Um, she's a, probably a bigger Pearl Jam fan than me, <laughs> which is, you know, really fun. We've travelled a lot to go see them, travelled, you know, around America, across Europe. Um, it's just been, it's just been such a great time following Pearl Jam. I'm glad they're still an active band. I'm still glad they're still going. I'm glad they're still almost, well, apart from the drama, the original lineup because that doesn't happen too often. You know, Guns N' Roses this weekend, it was Axl Rose, Duff McGagan and uh, Slash. And that's it, really, from the original one. Dizzy was on the pianos, but he wasn't in the original band. Um, I do um, just definitely find that as I'm getting older, the bands that I liked when I was younger are also getting a hell of a lot older too. And I just, I need to I need to see these bands while they're, while they're around because as we found over the past few years, a lot of musicians that I've liked or loved died so i'm sorry i started on such a negative note but you know we've got to cherish these uh singers and bands while they're still going and if they're playing gigs you know you do whatever you can to go see them because you know nothing's guaranteed and you know, who knows who knows what's going to happen in the future on to happier things let's talk about this week's issue the cover stars for this week's episode are metallica donnington here we come metallica the only interview Plus Radiance Machine live in LA and LP exclusive, Fear Factory Natural Bone Killers, Save Six Quid on Albums at Virgin, Pearl Jam, Soul Asylum, Sick of It All, Chili Peppers, Black Crows, and Behind the Scenes with Bon Jovi Monster 8 Page Pullout. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Kerrangback Issues, we can be found on Instagram Kerrangback Issues, Twitter Kerrangpod, and email Issues at gmail.com. Let's begin this week's issue with a swift word from the editor bollocks to hugh grant's sordid shenanigans sod the major versus redwood tory tussle the highest potato in waffledom has been the fact that metallica are set to play donnington on august the 26th the same weekend as this year's reading festival with the reading organizers serving up a very kerrang influence heavy bill soundgarden skunk and Nancy, white zombie etc loyalties have clearly been divided when it comes to buying tickets indeed it's a major dilemma. This week, The Big Kerrang! brings you an exclusive interview with Metallica's Lars Ulrich, which should give you a good indication of this year's Donington vibe. Rest assured, Kerrang! will bring you the highest news on Donington first. In the meantime, save those shekels, raid your piggy bank and work out how you're going to get between Donington on the Saturday and Reading on the Sunday. Good luck, you'll need it. Phil Alexander, Editor. Just a note here for myself that it's interesting they mentioned Hugh Grant's sordid shenanigans. Um, I think there they're talking about when he uh, had a lewd sexual um, <laughs> interaction with a, a lady named Divine Brown in LA. What I find really interesting here is that it's July and Reading is in August and they're mentioning how um, you're going to have to decide which one to go to to buy the tickets. It's so funny that it's a couple of months beforehand and they're selling the tickets. Uh, whereas now, if you know, you have to buy a ticket while well, Reading, they go on sale a year in advance, and the shows pretty much sell out about six months beforehand. So, yeah, just a, uh, just I find that really interesting. Sorry if you didn't. Let's move on to news. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh! 
This week with Mayhem, the loudest news first. Rage Against the Machine blast back. Rage Against the Machine are planning to release their long-awaited second album in October. The band who've just kicked off their last bout of recording for the eagerly anticipated album in Los Angeles have recently resurfaced to play free live dates in California. The trio of shows marks Rage Against the Machine's return to action after a long period spent in relative seclusion. The foursome, vocalist Zach De La Russia, guitarist Tom Morello, bassist Timmy C and drummer Brad Wilk took a well-deserved break last summer after completing two solid years of touring on the back of their million-selling self-titled debut album. They got back together in November 94 to begin work on the as-yet-untitled follow-up. Initially, they moved to Atlanta, Georgia to start laying down the basic tracks in producer Brendan O'Brien's own studio. But by all accounts, it proved to be a grueling experience and the sessions were moved back to LA in February of this year with four finished songs in the can. Ever since, the band have been rehearsing and writing more material in their home base. They finally re-entered the studio with O'Brien this month. Prior to resuming work, Zach De La Rocha had been flying back and forth between LA and Mexico. Since April, the singer has been spending time in Mexico doing voluntary work as an observer for a peacekeeping mission that's been established between the Mexican government and local farmers. He's also devoted himself to delivering food and clothing parcels to the indigenous peoples of the area. A spokesman for the band in the UK confirmed that they had gone back into the studio. They've now got six fully completed songs together, he tells Mayhem. The new material is very punky. It still sounds like Rage Against the Machine, but with all the slow bits taken out, they're aiming for an October release. As a teaser for the album, the band played three relatively secret gigs in the Southland, California area over the course of one week. The first was in Riverside, which is about two hours drive from LA itself, and according to one observer, the response the band received was little short of mental. The second was held in a salsa club in downtown LA called the Hacienda Real, which is swathed in red velvetine and has mirrors on the walls and ceilings, playing to 500 fans who were literally crammed into the tiny room. Rage Against the Machine played a set that mixed established favourites and a handful of new numbers, all still going under tentative working titles. The third show the band played was at the annual KROQ Weenie Roast in Irvine, California with Hole and Rancid. KROQ is a huge commercial alternative radio station based in LA. Tickets can be won from the station itself but were virtually impossible to purchase elsewhere. The irony of Rage playing the Weenie Roast is that two years ago they'd been banned by the station for a spell after encouraging over 30,000 concert goers to chant fuck KROQ at their LA Lollapalooza gig. The station had made their own rather shoddy edit of the Bullet in the Head single. In the end, Rage delivered by far the best and most entertaining set of the day, but UK fans are going to have to wait some time before they get a chance to sample the revitalised Radiance and Machine for themselves. They'll tour the US when the album comes out, reveal the uh, UK spokesman, but there'll be no British dates for ages. Stop Press, Sepultura have confirmed that their next album will be called Roots. The boot boys from Brazil begin recording in September with a release date set for early 96. Smashing Pumpkins are in LA putting the finishing touches to their new LP, which contrary to previous reports is still untitled. It's set for release in October. Ozzy Osbourne's new guitarist is American Axeman Joe Holmes and not ex-Testament Whittler Alex Skolnick. Holmes was last seen in Dave Lee Roth's band. Bon Jovi will release a new single on July the 31st. It's a cover of the Boomtown Rats' I Don't Like Mondays, performed with Bob Geldof on vocals and recorded live last month at Wembley Stadium. Stretch launched their debut LP with a party at Tamworth Arts Centre on July the 8th. Red Hot Chili Peppers will tour the UK in October, Mayhem can exclusively reveal. According to sources in the UK, the band are already in the process of booking the dates, although no shows have yet been confirmed. In the meantime, the Chilies are currently wrapping up work on their long-awaited, as-yet-untitled new album with producer Rick Rubin in the Sound Factory studio, Los Angeles. The foursome vocalists Anthony Kiedis, Dave Navarro, Flea and Chad Smith have kept the whole project tightly under wraps, but Mayhem understands that they've finished recording all the tracks and are now mixing the final six songs. The album is scheduled for release on September 11th and not in August as has been reported elsewhere. However, the band's UK record company Warner Brothers are anticipating that the release will be moved back to tie in with the British shows. In any event, the new Chili Peppers album will still be more than a year late in emerging. Indeed, the whole recording process has apparently been fraught with drama and tension, with rumours repeatedly circulating that various members of the band have been in and out of rehab clinics at one stage or another. 
Anthrax have fired guitarist Dan Spitz. It just wasn't working with Danny and we needed to move on, says Frax six stringer Scott Ian on the blower from the Philadelphia studio where the band are recording their new album Stomp 442. We're bummed out about it, but we're also excited because the new stuff is sounding better than ever. Spitz have been with Anthrax since their inception. His departure leaves Ian and drummer Charlie Bernate as the band's only remaining original members. The lead guitar parts on the new album have been played by a variety of people. Bernante assumes guitar duties on four tracks. Band friend and Spitz former guitar tech Paul Crook plays on five and Pantera's Dimebag Daryl has laid down two solos on two songs. The band have yet to confirm a replacement for Spitz, but Crook has already emerged as the favourite to land the job. ACDC and Def Leppard are both set to release new albums this winter. ACDC have completed their eagerly awaited new album which Mayhem can exclusively reveal will be called On The Brain, but won't release it until October. The band who are now reunited with drummer Phil Rudd began work on the record in New York with producer Rick Rubin last summer before moving to LA earlier this year to finish mixing the basic tracks. To coincide with the album's release, ACDC will undertake a full US headlining tour. UK dates are not expected until next year. Def Leppard, meanwhile, will release a greatest hits album set to be released this Christmas. There's the possibility that a handful of new and or previously unreleased tracks will be added. The band are also set to play a series of dates lined up in the Far East this December. Leopard are currently in LA working on their next studio album with co-producer Pete Woodruff, provisionally titled Slang. It will emerge in the first half of next year. Terrorvision and the Wild Hearts have both confirmed that they will play the Tea in the Park Festival in Glasgow on Saturday, August the 5th. The Pile Driving Pair will join Therapy and Skunkanancy at the festival, which takes place in the Hamilton Palace Ground Strathclyde Country Park Glasgow. Tickets are priced £25 per day and £42 for the weekend. For full ticket information, call TOCTA on 0131 557 6969. The Wild Hearts, who released their Justin Lust single on July 17th, have also lined up an appearance at the File Festival in Dublin on Sunday, August the 7th. The Vision and the Hearts will also both be appearing at the Phoenix Festival on Saturday, July 15th and Sunday the 16th, respectively. And Terrorvision will also support REM at the Alfred McAlpine Stadium Huddersfield on Tuesday, July 25th. Terrorvision have finished demoing material for their third studio album. They're now deciding who'll produce it and are set to go into the studio within the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for further details. The Wild Hearts, meanwhile, will play a series of festival dates in Europe throughout the summer. A full UK headlining tour will go ahead in the autumn and it's also a strong possibility that their mail-order-only Fishing for Lucky's mini-album will get an official release before the end of the year. Geezer Butler, the ex-Black Sabbath bass demon and current Ozzy Osbourne four-stringer, is about to unleash his own side band and it features Fear Factory growler Burton C. Bell. I didn't want an ordinary heavy metal singer, explains Butler. I got the Fear Factory album demanufactured and thought, what the bloody hell's that? We called their manager and asked him if Burton wanted to do it. I was scared shitless, booms Bell, but it was a great opportunity to do something different. Joining Butler and Bell in the as yet unnamed outfit are Brummy guitarist Pedro House and drummer Dean Castronova, also in Aussie's band. The foursome have already signed to the ultra hip TVT records in the US and Castle Records in Europe. At present, they're working on their first album with co-producer Paul Northfield, set for an autumn release. It's a hugely heavy slab of wax, which features such ear-splitting tracks as Section 27, Cyclone, Giving Up the Ghost, and Invisible. And Butler says it was Pantera who reactivated his love of heavy music. Their stuff was so heavy they reminded me of how Sabbath used to be when we started, he smiles. Plus, hearing so many of these bands saying that Sabbath had an influence on them gave me back some confidence. Records news and Sammy Hagar, the legendary Van Halen frontman, will have his 1980 solo album Danger Zone reissued through BGO Records shortly. Ungwi Malmsteen, the legendary Swedish guitarist, will issue his latest album through Music for Nations during August. We'll give more details as soon as we have them. Six Feet Under, the side project outfit featuring Cannibal Corpse vocalist Chris Barnes and obituary guitarist Alan West issue their debut album Haunted through the Metal Blade label during mid-September. Cannibal Corpse will also release an EP during October. 
Tour news and Ash, the Irish band, will play dates at Bristol, Fleece and Firkin, July 25th, Birmingham, Juggervale, 26th, Canterbury, Penny Theatre, 27th, London, LA2, 28th, Brighton, Concord, 29th, Derby Warehouse, 30th, Liverpool, Lomax, 31st, Manchester, Boardwalk, August the 1st, Dublin, File, 4th, and Glasgow, Tea in the Park on the 5th. The band will issue a new single, Girl From Mars, through homegrown infectious records on July 31st. Available in 7-inch vinyl, cassette and CD formats, all feature a cover of John Williams' Cantina Band, taken from the bar scene in Star Wars. Whilst the cassette and CD versions also have the track Astral Conversations with Toulouse Lautrec. Dearly beheaded, the Midlands Thrashers will be headlining London, borderline Devil's Church on July the 9th, supported by Winter of Torment. Girls' School play a one-off day at Sheffield Hallamshire on July the 6th. This will be filmed for broadcast by Channel 4 and Yorkshire TV during September. Shoots Groove, the New York hip-hop rock act, will be supporting Public Enemy at Glasgow Barrowlands on July the 12th. The band have now cancelled their own headlining date at Glasgow Cat House, scheduled for the same night. Wasp, Blackie Lawless will be making personal appearances at Plymouth Connections July the 7th from 10pm and the London East Ham Ruskin Arms on the 8th from 10pm. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens, starting with Donkey in New York. Despite relatively soft sales of their No Quarter album in the US, the Page Plant Tour is one of the hottest box office attractions of the year. Their October the 26th gig at the massive Madison Square Garden sold out in minutes, and a second was immediately added for the next day. Could Catherine Will follow hot on the hills of Bush and be the next UK band to break big in the States this year? It's possible. The first single from the Happy Days album, Way Down, is getting tremendous airplay here and about as much MTV exposure as you could expect from a channel that barely plays anything besides rap and whole clips. In the meantime, the band themselves showed up at New York's Tower Records in the heart of Greenwich Village for a smoking lunchtime electric set inside the packed store. Keep your eyes peeled for more Catherine Will news soon. Noisefest 95 was supposed to be the metal fans' antidote to all the travelling alternative festivals popping up in the States this summer. But the lineup of Testament, Crowbar, Propane and Overdose has been abandoned amidst interband squabbling and controversy. Allegedly, Testament wanted Forbidden to replace Propane on the tour, but when the promoter nixed that idea, he also claimed that Testament were aiming to pocket the difference between the more expensive Propane's performance fee and Forbidden's. Testament frontman Chuck Billy has hit back by claiming that the other bands on the Noisefest 95 refused to contribute to PA costs. If the tour had gone ahead, Testament would have footed the entire bill, which would have been unfair, he told Mayhem US. US News Extra Soul Asylum and Primus stormed straight into the Billboard Top 10 with their new albums Let Your Dim Light Shine and Tales from the Punch Bowl respectively. However, they were both behind prog veterans Pink Floyd, whose double live album Pulse rocketed to number one on its first week of release. Pearl Jam's Mike McCready and Alice in Chains' Jerry Cantrell will both appear at the Jimi Hendrix tribute concert in Seattle in September. See Mayhem US in Kerrang 551 for further details. Poor, the Kansas Crunchers will unleash their second album, Death to Traitors, on August the 8th. Stay tuned for more news. We now join Lisa Johnson in LA. Pearl Jam have cancelled six more shows on their 15-day tour in the US. An industry tip sheet said the cancellation had been brought about by the business and controversies surrounding the band's attempt to schedule a tour. Pearl Jam have been attempting to schedule their own tour in the US after a war with the monopolising ticket broker company Ticketmaster. The six shows that have been cancelled are in Salt Lake City, San Diego, Phoenix, Las Cruces, Austin and New Orleans. Tickets for all the cancelled dates will be refunded in full and there is a possibility that the dates will be rescheduled. The band are now left with four shows to play, two each in Milwaukee and Chicago. Pearl Jam frontman Eddie Vedder also angrily denounced stories that the band had surrendered in its fight against Ticketmaster. I guess you've heard they are saying in the papers that we surrendered to Ticketmaster, he told fans from the stage in Casper, Wyoming. That didn't happen, and take my word, that's not going to happen. Pearl Jam have so far only managed to play dates in Colorado, Wyoming and San Francisco. According to an observer at the San Francisco show, Vedder only played about eight songs and Neil Young had to play for two or three hours to make up for Pearl Jam's short set. Apparently, Vedder's health has also been a factor in the Pearl Jam tour cancellation. 
The singer is rumoured to have come down with an acute case of the flu, and the latest rumours point to the possibility of the band returning to the studio soon to record yet another album. Remember, you heard it here first. Beavis, you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Concerts now, and the first concert reviewed this week is Soul Asylum, live at the Shepherd's Bush Empire, London, on Monday the 26th of June. This one is reviewed by Paul Rees, and this gets electrocution out of five, five out of five. One of the best bits about Soul Asylum's gigs these days is the wince factor. This occurs roughly two minutes into whatever the first song may be tonight. It's hopes up and it's always carried painfully out by those who've come along purely on the strength of Runaway Train. The three suspects this evening are middle-aged gentlemen from the UK Country Rock Club. By the time Dan Murphy is waving his guitar at the wall of amplifiers at the back of the stage and Dave Perna is peeling out the blowtorch riff to somebody to shove, they look like they've had the contents of several stomachs emptied into their pint glasses. On record, despite the brickbats that have been thrown their way in the wake of Grave Dancers Union, Soul Asylum have merely learned to play their instruments. Live, they remain a fearsome band. Let Your Dim Light Shine monopolises their current set. For now, this is fine. You can hear something as subtle as Promises Broken mutate into a taut and twisted snarl. Or marvel at just how much new drummer Sterling Campbell has tightened up their previously all-over-the-place rhythm section on the pogo-tastic pop of Bittersweet Heart. There are also some genuinely startling moments on the new record, like Strings of Pearls, where Perna rattles off a stream of conscious narrative against a furiously clipped funk backbeat, or Cruel and Nothing to Write Home About, where Murphy drives along two simple but brutally effective rhythmic blasts. From the past, there's only the decade-old Closer to the Stars, Black Gold but no Runaway Train, and a near-authentic take on Fleetwood Mac's Rhiannon. I've just written this in the dressing room especially for you, Perna says of the latter. His tongue is still in his cheek. His ass is still hanging out the back of his trousers, but his band are finally reaping the rewards they've long deserved. The next review is for Fudge Tunnel, Pitch Shifter and Judder, live at the Highbury Garage London on Friday, June the 23rd. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this one gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. In two years, Judder have slowly but surely become Hellspawn. The London Electro Stompers may not appear to have done much, but they've honed their ultra-violent racket down to a streamlined core. With frontman Pedro more intimidating than ever before and a new guitarist placing more emphasis on riffing, Judder are finally set to crack heads. Pitch Shifter are great entertainment. Frontman J.S. Clayton displays far more of a cheeky sense of humour than you might expect. Although he was obviously the sadistic kid at school, he spends as much time throwing hapless stage divers back into the crowd as he does singing. It's a humorous spectacle and goes a long way to make up for the music's lack of groove. Sometimes the shifter are just too mechanical and repetitive for their own good, but there's no taking their sheer power away from them. Fudge Tunnel make no mention that this could be their final London show. If it is, it will be a noble epitaph. Either the sludge-mongous riffs have improved drastically in recent times or I haven't paid enough attention because tonight they rock like nobody's business. Opener Random Acts of Cruelty is full of awesome riffage. Looks like guitarist singer Alex Newport taught his nail-bomb mate Max Cavalera the value of feedback and noise, while Max taught Alex to chug like a maniac. There are some problems, but this is a triumphant display, which climaxes with a PA on the verge of genuine meltdown. If Fudge Tunnel split, they should become Henry Rollins' new backing band. They make his music interesting. Next we have Weezer, live at De Montford University Leicester, Thursday, June the 22nd. Reviewed by Steve Beebe, this gets static out of five, three out of five. I moved to Los Angeles to become a rock star. Then I realized I was an idiot. This quote from tiny Weezer frontman Rivers Cuomo is one of the finest ever to appear in a record company press release. It says much about the Weezer mentality. In all honesty, these geek punksters are getting away with screaming blue murder. They are perhaps the only band to get by on the sympathy vote. Weezer are so inept looking you can't help but feel sorry for them, and you can't help kinda liking them for it. The inoffensive quartet sneak onto the stage at 10.15 and offer apologetic smiles. Cuomo, understandably perhaps, looks like a man who would rather be anywhere except Leicester. Behind Patrick Bell's drum kit is a big flashing W, a tongue-in-cheek take on Van Halen's logo. It is magnificently silly. Weezer, however, play occasionally powerful punkoid melodies with touches of Green Day and annoyingly, they might be giants. 
It's all too much for Chromo, who has to sit down between songs to rest his gammy leg. Weezer's silliest song of the night is Undone the Sweater Song, which carries the moving chorus line, If you want to destroy my sweater, hold this thread as I walk away. Bassist Matt Sharp adds an endearingly ridiculous falsetto. Cuomo believes it to be a sad song, but isn't particularly bothered. Weezer are at their best when they keep things simple and clobber you with fat, stupid choruses. Buddy Holly, brilliant tonight, is an obvious example, but there's other materials such as No One Else and In The Garage, which are just good. Between songs, however, they have a tendency not to be seated, but stare blankly at each other. You feel like passing them coffee and sandwiches. There's certainly entertainment value to be had here, but the question is, do you feel sorry enough for Weezer to put them in the charts again? Hmm. The next review is for Extreme, live at the Civic Hall, Wolverhampton on Friday, June the 16th. Reviewed by Steve Beebe, this gets a short circuit out of five, two out of five. Four years ago, in this very venue, Extreme played one of the best gigs I've ever seen. They took the stage in an explosion of colour, volume levels coursing through the ribcage. Gary Sharon displaying the athleticism of an Olympic gymnast, a mere glance from Nuno and screams threatened to punch holes in the eardrums. Their wonderful second album, Pornography, made the Boston Quartet into a sensation. Now, Extreme are a shadow of their former selves. For those who saw him here in 1991, tonight's tedious debacle is a painful experience. Most of the set is played in what can only be described as subdued lighting. So much for their attempts to bring back the glory days of rock. The Stone Temple Pilots are far more visual and write markedly better songs. Playing Get the Funk Out as the second song is the first mistake. The sound levels are still far from settled and consequently the band's ace card is wasted. They then proceed to wade through acres of Halen-esque drudgery from the latest LP waiting for the punchline. Only Hip Today manages to stand out. It's surprisingly a catchy number that works well live. Tell Me Something I Don't Know sounds like a bad YouTube ripoff while Naked is taking the piss. Audience numbers dwindle during Horror of Horrors, the solos. New drummer Mike Mangini is obviously excellent. In his solo, he gets to hit things quickly. Great. Sad traces of Extreme's glory days are still visible. More Than Words remains an attractive old chestnut and wholehearted played 75 minutes in is the first number to be truly embraced by the audience. Christ, Extreme could have had it all. Extreme are capable of funkus sonic magic, of swagger and soul. They've spent the last three years fannying around, doing a ghastly queen one minute and a comatose Van Halen the next. Extreme need to get back to being extreme. The same band that gave us pornography. This particular punchline is an awful long time coming. The next and last review for this week is a festival called Glastonbury 95. It's held at Glastonbury in Somerset from Friday, June the 23rd through to Sunday, June the 25th. This one is reviewed by Morat and Lisa Johnson and the whole festival gets a high voltage out of five, four out of five. You'd think that after 25 years, these stupid hippies would have this festival slightly better organized, but no. Like many others, that when I should have been watching bands like Sensor, The Boredoms, and The Tottenhosen, I'm being directed endlessly around a bloody great field because no one seems to know which gate relates to which ticket. Then, after arguing that I don't want to leave my bike in a bike park guarded by flaky looking students, there's a half hour walk in baking heat before you get anywhere near a campsite. Love and peace, my ass. I am not a happy camper. But it's easy to cheer up at the sight of a whole field of people spontaneously shaking their stuff to war playing low rider of Cheech and Chung's Up in Smoke fame on the main stage. Sure, the rest of their set is just 70s funk, but you really must check them out for that one song when they play the Phoenix Festival. Soul Asylum provide a fairly mellow set late in the afternoon and Runaway Train stands out as their one true classic, but we could do with something that everyone can get into regardless of age, fashion and alcohol intake. And it's the Black Crows who finally provide just that on the main stage. Second song in and they're ripping through thick and thin in front of a sea of dancing bodies. The Crows are as near as you'll ever get to the perfect festival band. There really is a little something for everyone. Your mate who you've dragged unwillingly across the field will suddenly be digging hard to handle and P25 London stands out as particularly fine tonight. Personally, I'm not into the long workouts that the band get into rather heavily today, but Johnny Colt's thumping bass makes up for that and the reek of funny cigarettes coupled with the setting sun makes it all pretty special. Those of you who reckon Chris Robinson's voice sounded croaky when you watched it on Channel 4, well, you just weren't there. The crows were flying high tonight. 
Saturday. After very little sleep and a head full of herbally, sold legally on the site, we really need a band like Skunk and Nancy to blast away the hangovers. Sadly, due to the aforementioned stupid hippies, the country's best new band arrive on the site 10 minutes after they're supposed to be on stage and only get to play four songs. Little Baby Swastika, Selling Jesus, I Can Dream and Intellectualize My Blackness. To say that there is disappointment in the air is a huge understatement, but at least they kicked buttock and even from that short set gained new fans. Don't be surprised if Skunk Nancy are headlining festivals in a couple of years. A friend forced me to watch live and I must admit to being pleasantly surprised since I can't stand Pearl Jam and there are obvious similarities there with a dash of REM thrown in too. It might all be a little too melancholy, but there's no denying that Ed Kowalczyk has an incredible voice and bugger me if I don't recognise a couple of the tunes. Live are exactly the right band for this late lunch slot, with people just happy to stand and listen to some class songs. Sadly, the same doesn't work with Urge Overkill, who merely come across as dull. We all look up when they play Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon from the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, but perhaps only because it was shown in the cinema tent last night a ridiculous volume. Conversations are soon resumed while we wait for the main attraction. Alas, today, Offspring sucks Satan's cock. I really wanted this Orange County four-piece to prove me wrong today, and instead they were just fucking lame. Their main problem is a total lack of attitude. They have some cool riffs, but their delivery is weaker than warm Budweiser, and having invited a fan on stage, any so-called punk band worth their glue bag would have caused a riot at the sight of said fan being dragged away by the bouncers. Instead, Vocalist guitarist Dexter Holland, wearing a punk t-shirt, mutters a few excuses and they plod into the next number. And apart from a, a decent rendition of the digits, killed by Powerhead, there's nothing to get excited about in the set. Not even when they covered the damn smash it up and one of Weezer decided to cane Dexter's ass. There are better things to do at Glastonbury than watch pretend punk, like trying to persuade Greenpeace to do something about the state of the toilets. Jesus. Talk about chemical dumping. Sunday. No closer will anyone get to seeing Led Zeppelin in the 90s than Paige Plant. Frankly, the old timers made the Black Crows look like a bunch of pretentious dorks. From the second Robert Plant walked on stage, it was all too obvious that this was the real thing. So what if both these guys are older than your mum and dad? They still rock and they still have hair. An electric charge filled the air as Jimmy Page strummed the first chord and then it was into full Led Zepp mode, which left me humming cashmere for the rest of the day. Sadly, from midway through the set, the charm wore off and tedium set in. But even that couldn't detract from a true rock and roll experience. Page Plant will always rock in my mind. Next up in Kerrang, we have this week's cover stars. Metallica, D-Day Landing. It's a one-off. It's at Donington on August 26th. A show right in the middle of making a new album, Stefan Chirazzi interrupts the recording of Metallica's next LP and asks drummer Lars Ulrich what the hell is going on. It was about a month and a half ago that I first remember Lars Ulrich mentioning the word Donington. We were briefly discussing the fact that there wouldn't be one. We were both a little sad. I asked him, as you would, if Metallica had been asked to play the festival. He said that yes, they had, but they were making an album and couldn't do it. To me, it seemed to be the end of the story as it was to Lars Ulrich. Understand this about Metallica. When they step into the studio, it's nearly always an ugly, stupefyingly painful affair, guaranteed to last an inordinate amount of time and with the making of the Black Album in 1990 being so utterly time-consumingly painful, there was no reason to believe that despite any best laid plans, this latest session wouldn't turn out exactly the same. And anyway, this has never been a band that could just knock it on the head for a couple of weeks, trip off to Donington, do a little gig in front of a few dozen thousand friends and then flop back into album mode. Not this lot, forget about it, a pathetic fault. About 10 days ago now, I got this call from Sue, a woman who works at Q Prime Management who handle Metallica. Hey there, Kazop Phonogram in London told me Kerrang wants to talk about Donington. Donington? Donington? Donington. Metallica are doing it. What? Uh? But the foursome of Lars frontman James Hetfield, guitarist Kurt Hammett and bass player Jason Newstead are just up the road from me here in San Francisco and they're in the bloody studio. Oh, they only decided to do it yesterday, so do you have a time to hook up with Lars today? Laugh? I nearly called myself pathetic. So here we are, the first proper Metallica interview for six months, with Lars Ulrich chuckling at my disbelief and giving a few detailed explanations, most of which revolve around the astounding fact that the studio has gone remarkably well for Metallica thus far, allowing Donington to be a reality on August 26th. The phone started ringing right when we were about to start the record, states Ulrich, discussing the Donington decision, and we couldn't focus on it. It was like, 
we're making the next record, blah blah blah. That was where our focus was. Every week or two there would be this phone call about Dunnington. Until last week, when Peter Mench, Metallica's manager, called us and said, look, these guys are desperate. They really want you to go over and play. So I called up James and said, you know what? This could really be a lot of fun. In the conversations me and James had about it, the word fun must have come up about 50 times. This is not a tour. This isn't about three months of rehearsal. This isn't about having to have the perfect set list together. It's about having fun, and it's in keeping with the new looseness we've achieved in the new songs. We thought that spirit would carry over really well to Donington. It's going to be a case of, hi, we're here from a fun point of view, we're in the middle of making a record, and here we are in front of 80,000 people. It's not about getting all wound up, or will this be better than Milton Keynes or any of that bullshit. The spirit of fun is definitely the main thing, and it took James and I 30 minutes to talk each other into it. In terms of Metallica's history, 1995 has been an extraordinary year. With the usual excruciating timeframes evaporating in the studio and the atmosphere extremely relaxed, they've even had time to record some basic tracks for nine songs in between games of street hockey and actual attendance at the San Jose Sharks games. And why the hell aren't they feeling the pressure to follow up the 12 million selling Black Album? I don't know, Shrugs Ulrich. Maybe it's because we've all entered the dark decade of 30, which is not as wound up, and that may be because we're more settled at home, as well as the fact we're recording at home. We started writing about six months ago and that part turned into a waterfall, an endless cornucopia of ideas that just kept on coming out. We thought we'd be in the studio in early March and for the first time ever we kept on writing songs over and over. The ideas kept on coming. We decided to wait and go into the studio when we were ready. Come the middle of April we were ready. We've been in for 8 or 10 weeks and it's going a lot better than we thought. Let's talk pace of work here. Metallica plus speed equals studio ain't the equation we've all come to know and love, is it? It's going very quickly, but the key word is that it's also very relaxed. We're going in and doing basically what we hoped for in our wildest imaginations, which is not getting caught in some anal torment of precision and tightness. The new songs we're writing just called for a looser, livelier type of thing, and we set our goal with this record to try and capture more of the spirit of the songs rather than worrying about the technical stuff. We've been uh, talking about that for months and months and months, and what usually happens when it comes time is that we put our tail between our legs and start uh, shitting bricks. But this time, everything we talked about actually happened, so we're like, wow, this is pretty cool. We're almost having fun in the studio. So in that spirit, we decided, okay, why don't we take a week off, do some rehearsing, have some fun with our 80,000 close friends in England and Europe. Being able to drive from work, from your home every day may seem pretty basic to you and me, but for Metallica, it's a first. And a first has been very important in establishing this newfound comfort zone. One thing Bob Rock said all along was that you don't want to have this big date in front of you. You don't want to say that's the first day you start recording, first time in the studio for five years, blah, blah, blah. And then that day comes and you cannot get out of bed. So the deal was basically to continue rehearsing in the studio and one day, when it felt right, without even maybe telling us, he would start recording us jamming in the studio, which is something we've never done. Being at home, well one thing when you go away and record it's like you have to pack everything up and go to another city so it takes on a whole other level of seriousness. You're in that city, now you have to record, it's heads down and all that shit. Now we all wake up in our houses, we all roll down the studio one day, we just press the record button and we survive that moment. For a band that hasn't recorded for 5 years, we survived that moment. I mean, I was 26 when we recorded the Black Album. It's kind of funny. It's almost five years later and we haven't recorded anything while there are bands out there putting out albums every 15 minutes. I'm not saying it's good or bad, it's a fact. And once we survived the moment, we knew that we could be loose and relaxed about these things. Which brings me back to Donington. It seems like the perfect way to get away from the studio for a couple of weeks, do a little sweating and just go away and vibe together. So it's going to be an attempt to bring Club World to the big field. We're going to try that and we're going to try and bring this newfound sense of looseness to Donington. The last couple of times we've been on these two to three year tours, it's been the mighty Metallica machine rolling across the land and me and James are really hooked on just going in and seeing if we can do a fucking gig. We really felt that last year we did three months in America for no other reason than just having a lot of fun on the road. We got a lot of inspiration from going out on the road from the kids and it was a lot of fun. We felt the only thing that could equal that was to go over to Europe and say here we are in the middle of a fucking record, we didn't get a chance to hang with you guys last year, let's hang at least once this year. It's going to be the only gig in Europe, I guarantee you that. Donington is a one-off. It's the one continuation of the US stuff from last year. So come on then, will there be a few new songs jammed at this little old thing? Well, uh, I'm sure something from somewhere could come up. Look, it's literally 48 hours ago that we made the decision. It's not like we stopped making the record. That's why we're still not getting too involved or wound up about it right now. I'm sure there could be something aired that people haven't heard before, but I don't know what yet. 
Maybe there'll be a new song or two. Maybe a jam thing. Maybe we'll start a song and it'll fall apart because nobody knows it well enough. Who the fuck knows what we'll do. It does seem that Metallica really do thrive on having more than one thing to deal with at a time. Glutton's for punishment, eh? Chuckles Lars. Being in the studio can almost turn into a very work-like thing. Being in, in at 2 o'clock every day and even though the vibe is great down there, if there's one thing that's true about us, it's that we get a little restless. Being in the studio and playing Castle Donington are probably the two biggest extremes I can think of. There's a perverse beauty about being in the studio on Monday or Tuesday, jumping on a plane over to England and standing on a stage in the middle of a racetrack in front of 80,000 people and seeing what happens. We kind of like the idea of that and it seems like it'll be a really good way to get away from the studio and the kind of bullshit that builds up in there. In the ideal world, Metallica certainly has a wish list of support bands for the day. Obviously we're going to put something together where they'll be friends of ours, bands we feel strongly about having on the same bill as us. The problem is that when you decide to do Donington with 7 weeks to go, bands tend to have other commitments, laughs Lars. Phones are ringing off hooks right now and anyone who's seen us in these situations knows one thing. Whether they're all bands you like or feel emotional about, one thing you'll know is that we'll be feeling strongly enough about them to have them with us. Okay, point blank. Bearing in mind that you've been hanging out with these two bands, let's throw two names out there. Alice in Chains and Mank Indie Rockers Oasis. Ha! Ask Jerry, because I have no fucking idea what's going on there. My personal hard-on for Oasis has not come into the picture at all with regards to the Donington Bill. Right now, the first couple of bands we're talking to are White Zombie and Machine Head. I once again must stress we're only talking right now, I'm not confirming them. But it's going to be a great day. We definitely want 6 or 7 bands up there to get the old value for money vibe, but I have to stress that it isn't yet sorted. As far as the rest of the bill is concerned it'll all come together soon. It must be nice for Lars Ulrich, certified nutty fan drummer to know Metallica have some major clout over something like this. Well, you make it sound like a power trip when you put it like that. Look, let's say that we have a lot of respect for Donington promoter Maurice Jones, he's put us on three times before. We also respect his persistence. His persistence for the last few months has been a major factor. We're obviously not marching in and dictating things. We just want to put together a great, loose, fun day out with a cool vibe. And between the four of us, if you've seen what we're uh, into for the last year or so, there'll probably be a large chunk of them around. It'll be fun enough hanging out and seeing all the support bands. Plus, we've got to try and stay off the booze so as we can go out and play. Communication and the letter of the week this week begins. If, like me, you've been watching the music biz on BBC Two, then you would have seen the addition concerning Metallica's 93 show at Milton Keynes, and a very interesting programme it was as well, with all the behind-the-scenes action that you could have wished for, as well as some great slabs of Metallica at their finest. Having watched the series from the beginning, I've been really impressed by the way it's taken a cross-section of musical styles and shown how the business is run. But it seemed that as soon as metal was the focus, the script writers decided to trot out all the well-worn cliches. Comments about Dave Mustaine being once deemed too wild for Metallica but not so wild that he could look at Holiday Snaps before going on stage to sing about death seem to have been thrown in for a cheap laugh. The likes of Spinal Tap and Wayne's World have proved that metal fans can laugh at themselves but by presenting the same sort of throwaway comment in the midst of what has so far been a serious documentary series only opens the doors to those who want to ridicule. It would have been nice to see a programme that showed the metal scene to be the lifestyle that it really is for the millions of us out there. But then, that would have gone against Joe Public's preconceived notions, weren't it? Ian Longman from Edmonton. Good point, Ian, which makes you the lucky winner of this week's Karan Cap editor. What can you get for six quid nowadays? A set by promising rock band Jadis, a second set by the excellent Jump, the video for Beautiful on a large screen, a preview of the new album Afraid of Sunlight and a full acoustic set by Marillion. Sub the lottery, I know which I'd rather have. And as a member of the web, the Marillion fan club, that's exactly what I got. How many other fan clubs give you so much for your dosh? Jill Douglas, Barrow on the Humber. There are three things I want to say. One is thanks to Therapy for a great gig at Manchester Boardwalk. Two, I agree with Bob Hoskins' face fuzz of Chigwell, Crane 550. I am 16, but agree that we should all mosh. And thirdly, thanks Cancer and Krang for the CD, 5Ks. John from Manchester. Gagging for a shagging. Okay, so you've got your My God You're Ugly column. Might I suggest you put someone ugly in it. Our shatty issue 549 is gorgeous. So much so that I want to nominate him for gagging for a shagging. So now you can't tag him as the only one who never pulls in television. Your place or mine, darling. Shatty's carpet sweeper. 
Shutty also causes a nick of commotion for Laura, Laughing Girl, A Horny Bastard, The Femmes of Farnham and Julie Esther, Lisa Joy, Rachel and Louise of Bonham. So Shutty, you can get your mum to stop writing in now. Editor. In reply to Bob Hoskins Face Fuzz issue 550, it is unfortunate that real pit justice is on the decline, but it's only one side of a double-edged sword. Fear Factory have been a great band since Soul of a New Machine, but sadly some people have to be force-fed what is good and what is shite before they can realise for themselves. At least Fear Factory are now beginning to reap the rewards for all their hard work, even if it is at the expense of a good old-fashioned mosh. Still, there's always brutal truth. I've just read in Kerrang 551 that Fudge Tunnel may be splitting up. This would be a disaster for the metal world. Fudge Tunnel are totally original and there is nothing that sounds like them. When I first heard them, I thought they were a potentially massive band. Now I read this bad news. Why? Tom Rygate. Andy Cairns can try on my dress anytime, as long as I'm wearing it. Infernally yours, Mrs. Pink. Ill communication. In the middle of Kerrang! this week, there is an eight-page poster pullout of the recent Bon Jovi tour. We're not going to talk about it though because there's no words. So let's move on to the next piece in Kerrang! Fear Factory. Ferocious film freaks. Fuck Star Trek. So so super heavy LA mob Fear Factory who joined Big Kerrang! punk thug Morat to talk movies, madness and beyond. In theory, it's simple. The Big Kerrang! takes Fear Factory vocalist Burton C. Bell and guitarist Dino Cazares to London's Forbidden Planet. Originally a comic store, but now stocking all manner of cool film paraphernalia for a photo session. Then we are to a jeune, to a cafe to chat about the things, mostly movie related, that influence the making of their new ferocious album, The Manufacture. But in practice, it's not so simple. On seeing the store, both Burton and Dino develop shit-eating grins and disappear inside. It becomes increasingly difficult to pry them away from aliens masks, Pulp Fiction replica guns and a selection of unpleasant model beasties. Burton spots an ugly looking machine weapon from the film Terminator. Cool he beams, that's what we named new song HK Hunter Killer after. Before there's a chance to question him further, he vanishes via the Star Trek memorabilia into the comic section. Where's that bloody search party? I don't like the Aladdin or the Power Rangers stuff, spits Dino, when I eventually catch up with him, but the Blade Runner stuff was great. Burton seems very keen on the Star Trek tackle. Fuck Star Trek, spits Dino. Fuck Star Wars too. You know why? They've got no Mexicans in it. It's all whites and blacks. In fairness, it should be pointed out that Star Trek featured the first ever interracial kiss. There follows a hilarious argument about the pros and cons of Star Trek. I've seen every episode at least twice, Burton boasts. I watch it every day if I can. You're a Trekkie. Do you go to conventions? Nope, fuck that, I'm not that bad. Cringes Burton. But it's a killer show. Star Wars is fucking rad too. Empire Strikes Back is such an incredible story. Yes, sneers Dino. And the closest thing they had to a Hispanic was Chewbacca. Chewie's a Hispanic name. A lot of the films that we seem to be influenced by have almost become a reality, says Dino. Like Falling Down is talking about one guy snapping in LA. You got people snapping left and right in LA. We're not afraid to admit that we're inspired by it, what we like to see. A lot of those movies are filmed in LA. Blade Runner was based in LA. Or what LA could be like in the future. Terminator was based in LA too. Our song Self Bias Resistor was originally written for that new movie Johnny Mnemonic puts in Burton. But they were taking so long filming. Mnemonic is like a memory system. This guy downloads memory into a mini disc in his mouth and hooks it into a computer through his neck. And it's slowly but surely becoming reality. In that way, technology is going to start taking over the humans. In that sense, that's how Blade Runner and T2 are realistic. Unless they invent a virus to wipe us all out. The Ebola virus is just one thing that could wipe out the whole world, muses Burton. Have you seen that movie Outbreak? It's basically about that. A virus that works so fast that within two weeks just about everybody could be infected. I reckon the Ebola virus is a government invented disease. They've let it loose in Africa to try it out. Dino giggles at this suggestion. It sounds shitty, retorts Burton, but to the government, those people are expendable. They're just another statistic waiting to happen. These days, it seems that almost anything is possible. Fear Factory's new album, Sleeve, features a barcode turning into human bone, man turning into machine. Do you think technology takes away from the spiritual side of life? Yes, says Burton. Everyone has their own sense of spirituality. In a sense, technology is advancing so fast that people kind of lose their sense of personality. People sit and glued to the internet and they have no other life outside that. They don't want to try anything else and all their friends are inside this little computer screen and they just trust these people and their words. 
It could totally be bullshit and lies. And if you think the internet is not monitored by the government, then think again. What else do you think is monitored? Phones? Airwaves, says Burton. Everybody looks around suddenly aware that we're probably being filmed by a security camera. People don't care, says Dino. People know when they go to rob a liquor store that there's a camera there and they still kill the person. Some people don't give a fuck. Singles and the singles this week are reviewed by Malcolm Dome. The first single is Misery by Soul Asylum and this gets 4Ks. Simply stunning, emotive and soothing in a kind of disturbing way. Soul Asylum have the ability to take easily accessible melodies and give them a certain surreal twist. As here, it makes them the David Lynch of the rock world. It also makes them compulsive listening. With the Winona Ryder connection, the quartet should be guaranteed the sort of media exposure that will ensure this is a hit. It deserves nothing less. Swerve Driver with their single Last Day on Earth, this gets 3Ks. A poised, dirgy epistle that brings on a mood of somber tones. Swerve Driver don't exactly provide for a happy-go-lucky atmosphere, but then I guess there are some who'd regard this as the perfect soundtrack for your final hours. There's something undeniably haunting about it. Not one for manic depressives, though. Bivouac with their single Monkey Sanctuary, this gets 2Ks. Many find Bivouac's brand of new era rock impressive, but this lacks melody, power and charisma. They're not a bad band, but they don't yet seem to have found their niche. Crown of Thorns with their single Are You Ready 95. This gets 1k. This gives AOR a dreadful name. I'm a fan of Jean Beauvoir's past with the Plasmatics and Little Steven, but this defies description. Super Suckers with their single Born With A Tail. This gets 4k's. Joyous rock and roll that brings to mind ACDC and Jason and the Scorchers. Something to get those heads bouncing and banging and those feet tapping. Love it. The next single is I'll Do Ya by Whale. This gets 3Ks. Not quite a single one might expect from a band who holds Saxon and Judas Priest close to their heart, but there is something quirkily endearing about Whale. And the single of the week this week is Wiser Time by Black Crows. This gets 5Ks. Sheer Class, the perfect lazy song for a hot summer's day. Elements of rock country, bluesgrass and folk intermingle in magnificent harmony. A song that should be such a monster hit makes everyone realise just how good the Amorica album is. When you listen to this, everything else this week just melts away under the heat of awesome talent. Next up, we have a piece entitled Sick of Being Sick. That's what Karangman Morat's always moaning about. So we put him on a health kick with New York straight edgers sick of it all. All drugs, no booze, no cigarettes, no fucking chance. You want me to do what? You've got to be fucking joking. You're out of your tiny minds. With these cheery words, so began the latest in a series of ludicrous challenges dished out by the Big Kerrang to their poor journalists. Last month, Paul Rees founded his 10 quid wager to get a photograph of Dave Grohl's bog. This week's bet is that I can't go out on the road with sick of it all in Germany and stay straight edge, no booze, no drugs, no ciggies for 24 hours. Bearing in mind that I have won trophies for my drinking and that the Krauts are renowned for the quality of their lager, there's probably more chance of getting a wank off the Pope. Still, no one can resist a fucking challenge. Actually, New York hardcore crews sick of it all are not all straight edge. Only vocalist Lou Collar and his brother guitarist Peter Abstainers, while drummer Arman Majidi and bassist Craig Satari drink uh, whenever they want as long as it doesn't mess up their playing. Both Lou and Pete quit drinking when they were about 17 years old before they should legally have started. As kids we were drinking and doing all that shit explained Pete, because in uh, Queens there's nothing else to do. There was a store that would sell booze to 12 year old kids and we'd be the ones buying it. I never really got into drink because I once got really pissed on Mad Dog 2020 ads, Lou. It's like a wino wine for if you want to get fucked up on the cheap. Author's note, the strawberry flavour is particularly splendid. That was the last time I ever drank, because that shit was like throwing up gasoline. If I even sniff whiskey or something, memories shoot back into my head of like falling down somewhere in the streets, Pete grins. It just shoots you right back there and you think, why the fuck did I do that to myself? I'm sure you have those weekends where you drink a lot and go, never again, smiles Lou knowingly. And then next weekend, but at least we went through it, Pete points out. A lot of these new straight edge bands are 16 years old and they've never done anything and they're telling you what to do. We don't walk around with X's on our hands. We don't have all that X paraphernalia that people are making bundles of money out. We just do it. An X marked on the back of your hand indicates that you are straight edge. 
Why? The X thing came from the teen idols, explains Lou, Fugazi Supremo Ian Mackay's first band. They played California, and all the underage kids had to mark a big X on their hands so they couldn't get drinks. And they took it as like, yeah, let's use it as a sign of defiance. It looks cool, muses Pete, but it alienates everyone else because you know that someone who drinks is not going to go to a show that's totally straight edge. Tonight's sellout audience in Hanover is a reasonable mix of hardcore and metal kids. A hand count by a support act H2O's vocalist reveals that just seven of them are straight edge. He looks disappointed and starts preaching a little too much for my liking. So eight hours into my challenge, I have a defiant smoke. Preaching always winds me up and fuck it, ciggies don't really count. Turning down snapper Chris Casey's offer of a beer, we step outside to cool down between bands. Some guy sits down and rolls a spliff the size of Belgium. He offers it my way and I decline. This is getting difficult. Back inside, the venue is baking hot. I could murder a beer. Sober, everything seems to take ages. There's loads of hanging around. That's what sucks, Hoots Lou. We'll be in a bar and I'll be bored within an hour while my friends are having a grand old time. I'm like, yo, it's two o'clock in the fucking morning. Can we get out of here? Do you feel uncomfortable? Sometimes, shrugs Lou, but I do get really bored. And the thing that really gets you is smoking. I can't stand it. It makes your clothes stink. Do you miss all the crazy shit that you do when you're drunk? We just don't have an excuse now, laughs Lou. When we make uh, fools of ourselves, we don't have the excuse of, oh, I was drunk last night. It's like, I'm sorry, we're just assholes. Distressing rumours that sick of it all regularly smash the beer on their rider turns out to be true. But the band are perfect hosts and first offer me all their beer, two crates of the stuff which I regretfully decline. Bah. The whole thing about Straight Edge, says Lou, was that you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't rule your life. But these kids today, Jesus Christ, you got to be a monk to hang out with straight edge kids. Amen to that and sod the challenge. Get the fucking beers in. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record. It's so heavy, it couldn't get off the turntable. Albums. And the album of the week this week is Mirable by Neil Young with Pearl Jam. Reviewed by Claire Douse, this one gets 5Ks. In 1989... A middle-aged Canadian wrote the script for grunge. Neil Young, the grizzled troubadour from Manitoba with more than a dozen albums under his belt, plugged in his guitar and spewed out the feedback-drenched howl of freedom. A watershed album for a veteran whose 80s career had thus far been lodged firmly in the mire. Freedom opened acoustically and closed electrically with the immense rockin' in the free world, which along with Smells Like Teen Spirit and Alive became the grunge anthem. Indisputably, Young, who single-handedly invented the trademark grunge guitar whale back in the late 60s, has influenced virtually every single million-selling rock band of the 90s. Now, appropriately, he's joined forces with Pearl Jam, the most ardent and vociferous of his supporters for Mirable, an album which picks up where freedom and its immediate successor Ragged Glory left off. Last year's Young Opus Sleeps With Angels was a frail, downbeat affair, overhung by the suicide of Kurt Cobain, a longtime fan. In contrast, Mirable finds the old man in more familiar and furiously riffing mode. The additional guitar work supplied by Mike McCready and Stone Gossard blend in seamlessly in an uh, opener, Song X. The loose feel of the whole album is immediately set. This is rough, one take stuff with a feel of a spontaneous rehearsal rather than a rigid recording session and it works like a dream. From the upbeat I'm the Ocean, augmented with cheeky piano touches by co-producer Brendan O'Brien, to the sweet and sprawling peace and love, the Pearl Jam influences invade every chord. Even though the band are not even directly credited on the sleeve, if their next album is as cohesive and fluid as this, no one will be complaining. But it's Throw Your Hatred Down, which is the album's absolute standout track. Eight minutes of the most sublime guitar Young or McCready have ever played, ending in a glorious sweeping arc of chords over the unfussy rhythm section of Jefferman and Jack Irons. For young fans, not quite his greatest moment, but getting there. And for Pearl Jam fans, if this project is the shape of things to come, book your tickets for Reading right now. The next album reviewed this week is Banished Silence by 44XS. Reviewed by Jason Arnup, this gets 3Ks. It's pronounced 44XS and it's pretty good stuff. These goose-mad Germans have certainly got originality on their side. Not that the Bremen Quartet are doing anything wildly different on this 8-track mini-album, it's just that their bizarrely violent industrial thrashings can't be pinned down to one band or style. Frontman Heiko Grein avoids the usual distorted loud hail of vocals so prevalent in industrial, 
opting instead for a razor-throated garble, which sounds like Bathory's Quothorn having his throat bitten out by creator's Millie Petroza. The drums have that mechanical feel about them with speedy double bass all over the shop, while vigorous twin guitars riff away. If there's a problem with Banished Silence, it's that these X's ain't quite as loud and raunch-packed as they might be, although they're hardly buried. Bend or Break is a weird one, combining racy drums with a riff that sounds like Satan's own circus music and Neon Bugs is even more mayhemic, putting straight thrash through the ring of industrial. It's slightly reminiscent of early screw, if not nearly as powerful. Not just yet, Banished Silence makes a great start but 44XS next release could well be essential. You should check them out now. The next review is for Channel Zero with their album Unsafe. Reviewed again by Jason Arnott, this gets 2Ks. In the great Eurovision metal contest, Belgium ranks alongside Turkey and Spain. Zero points, year after year. Nice thing to hear a good band from that country and one that can write the odd song. Sadly, while Channel Zero are a, clearly a strong capable outfit, they've made an album which doesn't last more than a few spins before the interest wanes. The quartet can't seem to decide whether they want to be a full-on rubber-burning metal band like Pantera or a grunge outfit in the vein of Soundgarden or Pearl Jam. Of course, the quartet would argue that variety is a healthy thing, but the fact remains that Channel Zero have little identity and their grunge attempts leave something to be desired. The Belgians, presumably, derived their name from She Watched Channel Zero, one of Public Enemy's best songs. However, their sole foray into rap metal comes on Run WTT, where singer Frankie does his best Chuck D impression. To their credit, it works extremely well and features a fine riff from guitarist Xavier in the middle. Songs like Bad to the Bone and Dashboard Devils are big dumb double bass metal, boosted by Michael Barbario's gutsy mix, a plus point throughout the album. While Help is an obvious stab at new metal respectability, but ends up as unsafe stodgiest moment. Not the most convincing of albums. Chart Attack and the number one album this week is These Days by Bon Jovi. Number one in the indie album charts is Demanufacture Fear Factory and number one in the singles chart is This Is A Call by Foo Fighters. Reader's chart this week comes from Christopher Dimmant from Woken. His chart begins 1. As I Die, Paradise Lost, 2. Out of Hand in Tune, 3. TV Tanda Wild Hearts, 4. From Out of Nowhere, Faith No More, 5. Goddamn Devil, Ugly Kid Joe, 6. Sleeping My Day Away, Dad, South of Heaven, Slayer, 8. Harvester of Pain, Pride and Glory, 9. Replica, Fear Factory and 10. Dirty Black Summer by Danzig. The star tracks this week come from Sugar Ray's Mark McGrath. His chart begins 1. Corn Corn, 2. Divine Intervention Slayer, 3. Astro Creek 2000 White Zombie, 4. Super Suckers New LP Advance Tape and 5. Tales from the Punch Bowl Primus. So what's interesting here, uh, sorry just a small caveat, is that underneath the star tracks that I read out every week is the Big Kerrang playlist. So it tells you what's hot on the Big Kerrang death deck. I did notice about a month ago now that Morat had Corn Corn on his playlist. And I think that was the first time that that record had been mentioned um, in, in Kerrang. Uh, the album anyway. The band had been mentioned very loosely before, I think. But the fact that this is now on um, Sugar Ray uh, Mark McGrath's chart is showing that that album, um, it is out in the US at this point, but it hasn't been released in the UK. I think when I bought it, I bought it on tape. And the reason I bought the album was because they kept playing Blind on MTV and Machine Head were all over it and they were just saying how they were the best band. And I remember just hearing Blind was enough and I think I got an um, album on Import. And yeah, obviously, we know the rest. Korn just absolutely became the biggest band in the world. Blew up, biggest new metal band. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting that Korn was uh, mentioned here by Sugar Ray. Anyway, next week in Kerrang! Back Issues... Ice-T and Terrorvision, the original gangster meets the original prankster. TV's Tony Wright teams up with Body Count's Iceman as the dynamic duo yak about drugs, liquor, guns and the Phoenix Festival. Plus, Faith No More digging their own grave in the Kerrang! interview. White Zombie Great Britain must be destroyed. Slash, Who Needs Guns and Roses? Plus, Dog Eat Dog, Alice in Chains, The Ramones, My Dying Bride, Poor, Aussie Urge Overkill and tons more. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Wednesday as usual, so I look forward to talking to you all then. Bye for now.